si escuchan que hay gente... Welcome everyone, you're listening to Daniel here on The Dew Report. Today we'll speak with historian, community activist, writer, and my friend, Elliot Kim. We'll address the heartbreaking moment, the hatred, the attacks on our Asian community, and try and provide a conversation that is rooted in history, anthropology, and just basic humanity. Before we begin, Elliot, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, yeah. Uh, what's up, Disa? Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to get to chat with you. Um, yeah, I'm a part-time history professor, writer, actor, musician, all that fun stuff, but um, it's been a long time. And in, in really, I don't know, all my work really is dedicated to just sort of um, public education, I guess. But yeah, it's been a long time as an activist and organizer and all that fun stuff. So, um, so well, Elliot, thank you. Yeah, man. Thank you for, um, you know, sharing your time. I was hoping to really kind of get your thoughts well, yeah, get your thoughts as a historian, you know, community activist, but just simply like also this con- context of as a person responding to this, you know, this moment that we're experiencing uh, anti-Asian hate. And it's awkward to, praise, to present it like this current moment when we can acknowledge just the countless years of this awful, like, illness that I think we can kind of consider within the United States, this racist, yeah, this, this racist kind of thread that's part of the fabric that we can kind of think of the United States of America. But here we are again, you know, more recently seeing videos of people being physically uh, assaulted for this thing that is a perception of difference that we call like, you know, race. But just to get into it, I, I'm, I'm really Asking you, like, as a historian, community activist, organizer, writer, person, like, how do you make sense of what's going on? Um, you know, it's a very human thing. We think, like, we see something in our lifetimes. Like, we, we, we it's very difficult for humans um, because of uh, biology, because we have, we do not live forever, <laughs> you know, this, that, the other thing. We have to learn our history, you know, and so it's interesting because a lot of people, especially younger people, um, you know, older people remember more, right? Um, But younger people just kind of uh, seeing things going on in the world and not necessarily having a lot of context for it. Um, So yeah, I mean, there's, this is a resurgence of something. I think it's important, probably the most important thing to note is that this is, um, there's nothing new, right? We're just kind of um, with the racist and violent rhetoric around, um, the COVID-19 vaccine, right? We're seeing a resurgence of, you know, just this very deep-seated and long-standing institutionalized, you know, um, racism in this country, um, which has always been, you know, which is centered on the notion of, uh, of white supremacy. And so I think it's important to, to keep that in mind, you know, um, anti-Asian violence is hardly again it's baked into sort of like you know the racist recipe of this country um and two things come to mind i had you know conversations around this topic that i've had in the in the recent in recent weeks with um with two different friends but one friend kind of you know reminding reminded me just the conversation that we had reminded me that all racism is centered in anti-blackness you know, I mean, that is like, that is the foundation of, of the social construct of race and by extension racism, right, is this notion of it being against ultimately um, 
black people, quote unquote, right? People of African descent, the creating the notion of a quote unquote black person or a white person, right? Um, and so this anti-Asian racist violence that we're seeing now, I think is important to center it in that context, right? Because it's all inextricably linked. And I say this because another friend of mine, so that friend who, you know, the conversation reminded me of, of just like they, the, that larger context, right? Anti-blackness and, and situating racism in that, that person is of, of African descent. And then uh, another friend of mine who is um, of Korean descent, another conversation recently, he said via text, via a text message, he said something that kind of struck me. And he's, um, he's a lawyer, he's an educated guy, but again, law school in preparation for law school doesn't necessarily um, emphasize too heavily, you know, social sciences and humanities and stuff like that necessarily. And so we have a lot of conversations where he surprises me with what he doesn't know, if that makes sense, right? Because things that I think are very, just sort of like to people like you and I who are, you know, have, who have, who are, who have um, deeper backgrounds in, in these fields, it's just kind of common knowledge, some things, right? So he said something that really struck me. He said, I've been, I've been chewing on the fact that black people are attacking Asians right now, right? Like people of African descent are attacking people of Asian descent in the context of this, you know, the racist violent response to the nonsense about, um, you know, the origins of the COVID-19 um, virus. And, um, and that really struck me that he was surprised, you know? And so my response to him was like, well, you know, unfortunately, like nobody has a monopoly on being an a-hole, you know? And it's like, um, and again, it's, there's, it, it gets, it gets complex, but at the same time, it's just, it's rooted in this, this age old trope of, you know, of it, which is, I think you can speak at length to, but, um, and this thing that people do of othering, right. For a variety of reasons, I think ultimately it really comes down, not always, but most cases it comes down to access control over resources. Um, but in these, in this case, it's just, I mean, yeah, it's, it, it's just, it's disheartening that people are still doing stuff like this, you know, especially when you see like, you know, some like 30 year old, 30 year old, you know, 30 year old guy, like male, like European descent, attacking like some frail, and they always like, I think it speaks to just the mindlessness of this, of this kind of violence. Um, and it speaks to how pathetic the perpetrators of this kind of violence really are, when you see who the who they're targeting, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're not targeting people who are who they see as being physically able of fighting back. And that's why um, I, I, abhor, I abhor violence, but I love the way that that elderly woman, I think it was in the Bay Area, the one who defended, who managed to defend herself and basically sent the guy who attacked her to the hospital. Which again, I abhor violence. I do not condone that kind of stuff. But in that case, heck yeah, lady, kick his butt. <laughs> you know. Um, and so I don't know, there's, it, it, it's a lot there. And it's frustrating, you know, to see it. But also I have to remind myself that, you know, things have been much, 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 much worse. I mean, you know, like, you know, I wish I had some more specific examples that come, uh, come to come into mind right now. But I mean, there's a long, well documented history of anti Asian violence in this country, particularly in the West Coast, but not, you know, you know, because, um, again, you know, global geography, the West Coast is where um, I think, you know, um, proportionally speaking, more people of Asian descent ended up on the West Coast sooner, again, just because of global geography and stuff like that, um, but weren't limited to the West Coast. And so, I mean, like, you know, there's, 
any number of instances in places like San Francisco, but also, you know, throughout the country, there were, you know, um, excuse me, anti-Asian violence, um, often at the hands of uh, white mobs. And so I think it's just important to remember that we've been here before and it's been worse and we got through it by, uh, by helping each other out and having each other's backs. And so I think it's, um, I think we, I think we really need as individuals and as a society, I think we really need to demand um, uh, a higher level of um, just, uh, just, we need to demand more and better from our media as well as, you know, government institutions. And it, obviously, um, the Trump administration and all the rhetoric and stuff that he and his people of his mindset engaged in that, that really, that did, that doesn't help when you have someone at that level espousing, you know, the kind of racist, xenophobic, um, just ignorant, violent kind of stuff that, that he was, that he, that, you know, that he liked to, uh, that he liked to get into. So I don't know. And, and again, like someone who's light skinned and I've never, had to worry about that. You know what I'm saying? I've never, I, like, I have the privilege of, of I've never been in, I've been targeted in different situations and circumstances for different things, but I've never had to worry about being targeted um, because of the color, at least, you know, uh, um, because of the color of my skin. And so I can only imagine, and as always, I can only imagine how people of, of, of Asian descent, particularly East Asian descent right now, feel walking around right but again just you know you gotta remember that's in the context of all people of color kind of living with this um the reality of uh potential for life-ending violence or life-changing violence right and that i think is at the heart of um a lot of the problems that we have in this country in the world today it feels that there's this way of thinking about you know this moment in in very kind of like contrasting perspectives. You know, some people may say things like, well, this isn't as bad as it was, or this is exactly how it was before. We're just kind of going in circles. And I think both are just as accurate, but there's something to be said about where we are right now. And when we itemize like California history, yeah, there's state sanctioned violence documented where people, for example, were not allowed legally to present a case in court if they were not white. And we saw a lot of people become vulnerable to, to white violence in particular because they couldn't actually just even present a case against their aggressors because it was yeah. not permitted. We're not there anymore. But this moment activates that long history of violence. And part of the conversation that I'm curious if we can support briefly is this thing of, yeah, where do communities that are not perceived as white or black fit in the conversation of the white black binary? And you've, you've alluded to it by signaling that, you know, these moments of anti-Asian attacks are connected to moments of anti-blackness systems right yeah but i'd like to kind of see if we can kind of explore and i'm trying to tread lightly because i don't want to i don't want to say something careless but i want to say it this way mm. there there is a possibility to get something out of saying this is different or there's something different from anti-blackness in this 
moment because when I think of anti-blackness and this moment of anti-Asian uh, like rhetoric, anti-blackness has an element of, of hatred that is still tied to giving some, <clears throat> some credit for being part of the United States. Anti-Asian hatred dismisses credit of being part of the United States. So that when people are told, go back to where you're from, and you say, I'm from here. Right. And then they say, but, but you don't look like you're from here. You must be from China. You must be from Korea. In fact, some of the people that I've been seeing online, their hatred-filled statements say, go back to your, and they include a country. Go back to China, go back to Korea, go back to Japan. And I want to highlight why I'm being careful. In anti-Blackness, you, you don't get that as much. You don't get told, go back to and get a country. You, yeah. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm trying I, to split I think, this. I, I think sometimes, I, I think there's a lot. I, I would just raise the question, Do how much credit do people of African descent, Black people get? for Because I know that people, even Black people do get like, go back to Africa, quote unquote, not even a country, it's just a continent. You know what I'm saying? So I know that does happen. <laughs> but I, I see what you're saying, though, that it's not but the reason I'm trying to, I'm trying same, to be, but... Yeah, the reason I'm trying to be careful with that is that I don't want to say one has it worse, one has it better. Right. I'm trying to explore a distinction. Yeah, yeah. Because what I want to get to is this that as people speak about being part of the United States, it's about ending that statement. That for example, the person who tells you, go back to Korea, go back to Japan, or go back to Africa, doesn't get to tell themselves, well, where do I go back to? You know, they, they forget to say that. Yeah, that's they, not part of the logic. <laughs> that, that's what, and that's what I'm saying. And I'm saying this thing that like, when I look at these moments of um, hatred toward this community that we call the Asian community at this point, I feel that there's something about it that is different. And, and that difference, I'm not trying to kind of say better or worse. I just want to say there's an element of difference that is, that is uh, significant because a lot of us are trying to say, listen, I know that you don't think I'm from here, but I'm from here. I was either born here yeah. Or I've been here long enough that this is my home. Yeah, and we're all from the same planet, so get over it. <laughs> no, but even then, I think yeah. the issue of nationalism is is what is key here because yeah. we've talked about this awkward thing that is called the nation state and how arbitrary it is, but how significant it is for us not to consider it arbitrary. So that you you get to tell someone to to leave a place that was invented, you know, and that's ridiculous but more than anything I'm, I'm struggling with this moment right now by activating this this feeling that I've had growing up that like I grew up always being told I wasn't from here mm. when I this is my home I grew up in <laughs> LA and I would get that go back to where you're from and I was like dude I'm South Central yeah. Yeah, like, I, no, no, you're the person who's out of place, my dude. <laughs> well, even funny, funny <laughs> you know enough, without even trying to get into the rhetoric of go back to a country outside the United States, the uh, funny part is the people that did say that, at minimum, were outside of California. 
you know, like if I were to ask you, like, where did you grow up? It'd be like, oh, uh, Ohio, you know, Cincinnati, you know, like sure. they, most of the people that told that to me didn't say, oh, I grew up in West Covina, you know, like they didn't say <laughs> that. They, um, but surprisingly, sure. it's that rhetoric that I'm trying to get at that, like this idea that you can tell someone that they do not belong here is I think a, an undercurrent that legitimizes the violence. Mm. Like I, uh, at one point, this state-sanctioned violence allowed uh, colonial settlers, East Coast settlers to the West Coast to kill Native people. They would get money, $5. California, uh, so, the bounty system. Yeah, that was horrible. But these people were, were outsiders mm -hmm. telling people that were in their homeland that they didn't belong here and they were actually going to take their life. Yeah. That's what I'm feeling that like this, this rhetoric of like, you don't belong here allows you to inflict violence on another person. And as I see these videos that are heartbreaking, it feels that these people have, I don't know what they have in their head, but I'm trying to place this question of like, what is going on here? And I wonder if there's an element of that rhetoric that we heard earlier by number 45 calling, you know, COVID-19, the Chinese virus. Yeah, um, the Wuhan flu, all that. Yeah, and, and as a way of really kind of saying, this is something that we don't have to worry about as a, uh, as being something, an American issue. It's, it's an outside, you know, right. element. And- It's an alien invasion. Right, and okay, so let's just think, maybe that's what it is. You've given me a much more clear way of considering it's like the the alien invasion rhetoric is the one that i felt when i was a child like literally i was called an alien with an adjective at the beginning <laughs> and i just think that's like i think that's i mean it makes me laugh out of discomfort but it's sad man it's just heartbreaking but i think that's what people are feeling right now I, i've been catching a lot of like more uh, what do we call like um public figures talk about what's going on and, and stand up as like, we shouldn't be these people. And I think that the idea is for me is that I don't know if this is a logical thing for these people. It's, it's like psycho emotive. It's, it's this robotic hatred. It's like, it lives somewhere. I don't know where it lives. That's, that is a good question. Where does that hate come from that ability to, do violence to inflict harm on other people for no valid reason whatsoever. I mean, the only valid reason to hurt someone or something is, is you know, and this is globally recognized, is um, legitimate cases of self-defense. That's the only time where it's okay to inflict violence. And that's a good question, man. It's, um, you know, I think, I mean, because you, you, I think you hit on a bunch of the different nails and, you know, or a bunch of different points in this pattern and puzzle and stuff, because I feel like, all these things are inextric inextricably linked, right? So it's there's uniqueness, but it's also a sameness of sort of this anti-Asian violence, right? And so there's we got xenophobic, we got xenophobic nationalism, we've got a history of settler colonialism and, and violent displacement of the indigenous population here, which you know in the in the creation, which you know most nation states are are based on this so this sort of ahistorical false narrative, right? In the United States, that narrative. It was very explicitly. This is a this is a white this is a, a white country. This is a country for white people and by white people, and that was the law of the land until 1965. Technically, <laughs> you know, not very long ago. 
um i feel like there's a lot i, I hear you it's like because it's not uh, it's scale scope and duration you know in this spectrum and stuff like that and yeah it's just it's 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 almost too easy it's so easy for some people because that this narrative of of sort of xenophobic racist violence nationalist violence like based on a nationalist identity or stuff like that that narrative is so is as old as this you know what i'm saying it's so baked in and embedded in this country's psyche and social fabric both like legal non-legal you know what i'm saying the public private sector just the whole kit and caboodle global society is so infected with this disease that it's almost like it's like a knee-jerk reaction for some people right to just like this is just like that's like the that's like the base level like you said sort of like psycho emotive state for so many people is and i think i think a lot of it has to do with fear and irrational fear you know what i'm saying like some people some of these people probably really do believe you know like oh this virus came from a lab in china and they're really trying to destroy this kind of like like you know no evidence or anything to actually support that claim some people really do believe that and in worst cases you know it apparently it drives some people to that mindset drives some people to commit violence and so it's like i mean and the question from there in my mind is okay so you know it's always like all right well then what do we how do we, what do we do about that how do we how do we address that problem you know and it's like it's a combination of things because i was having this conversation last night um over sake <laughs> and sushi with some friends and um we're talking about how like like there's willful ignorance and there's conditional ignorance right conditional ignorance is you're just a pride like you just really don't know any better but if you want to know better i'm here and I'm, I'll, I'll work with you, you know, if you don't want to know better, I ain't got time, you know, and so even if you're going to do something violent and horrid and horrific, then expect to be held accountable for that act and, and, and for your actions, you know, and, um, and so yeah, and so I feel like what we're seeing is a lot of, a lot of conditional ignorance and a lot of willful ignorance too, though, you know what I'm saying? And, and that's, I don't know, that's a question for the ages, right? Like, where does that, where does that hate? that willingness and ability to inflict harm on total strangers for no reason like where does that come from and i don't know it's not it's not human history is not an encouraging thing to look at in that regard you know but at the same time you, we have to count the victories that that have been so hard fought and you know and 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 for so long and have been won you know for example like you know um <laughs> the expansion of the franchise and voting rights and you know the i mean in, in in which is such a basic thing but with that comes legal standing and like you're saying earlier the ability to serve on a jury the ability to accuse and and hold your you know your, your aggressor um accountable right like through the legal system when if and and again I think it speaks to just how far the current situation speaks to just how far we still have to go in in terms of like humanity learning how to play nice and share you know in a lot of ways and and not be a jerk <laughs> you know but I don't know man it's um it's hard I feel like you know I mean like I feel like I mean as as educators I feel like both of us are you know professionally and personally committed to combating you know that kind of ignorance that breeds you know hate hatred and violence and stuff like that but 
I don't know. I mean, do you feel like, what are your, what are, what are your, hmm, how optimistic are you for humanity? Like how, how, like, what do you, what do you think are the, the odds of us being able to get past these, these kinds of mindsets and behavior as people, both individually and collectively? More recently, I've been focusing on optimism, but optimism that is rooted in, 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 in difficult talks so that I do not believe that time will fix things. And I've been using this metaphor with my students when they tell me like, you know, it's, it's about time. We just got to give it time. And I said, if I was bleeding out, <laughs> would you tell me that? And they're like, nah, just be, you, be patient. Go yeah, slow. Just be, exactly. Yeah. Which, <laughs> so, is, which, which is, which is the rhetoric that Dr. King and everybody else was getting from most, you know, well-intentioned liberals in the fifties and sixties. Now's not the time you can't. And it's like, like you said, I'm hemorrhaging here. And you can shut up, <laughs> you know, that's why I'd be mean, like, get with the program or get left behind. You can get on board with the people who are hurting and who are closest to the problem who are saying this is the problem and it needs to be addressed. Now you can get on board with that and you can help triage. You can help clean up the mess or you can be a jerk <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> right. That's where I'm at. But I feel that the, the issue for me is like, what do we do with that optimism? Where does it go? Um, and, and I've been looking at, creating circles of solidarity is one, but also, I don't know, just being difficult. And I know it's like a weird thing to say, but like, just uh, for I example, like right now, you know, right now I was talking about, you know, like questioning, like where does anti-Asian hate fit within anti-blackness hate and what, how's it different? And, and I'm, I was being careful because I've been, I've been caught in really uncomfortable talks that were that, that my intention was not to offend and hurt, mm. but my question was not necessary, needed, appreciated at that time. But my questions are what was what's allowing me to feel that I am moving toward where I want to go, which is dismantling systems of thought for myself that are not useful. So that I'm I'm returning to this talk that I said earlier when I was a little kid. And, and they called me an alien, you know, with other adjectives, and I'm trying to not, not use them. But I was like, for a minute, as a child, I believed it. As a child, I believed that word. Yeah. It was everywhere. It wasn't it was in documents, permanent alien. And I was thinking, okay, that it's makes such, sense. But weird words, yeah. but I didn't understand where these things are coming from, right? So now as I'm, as I'm a grown adult, one is I know why that term was on the, the, the document. It comes from like old constitutional stuff like alienage. You know, these are, but at that time I didn't understand it. I was thinking alien UFO, X-Files. <laughs> right. I recall I'm a child, you know. Yeah. But as an adult, I don't carry those. Those words carry no meaning to me. For some they do. For some, they still use them and it hurts them or empowers them. I don't know. But what I'm trying to say is that my sense of freedom lies in dismantling things for myself that did not work. And then trying to figure out where can I exist with other people that are also interested in abandoning those systems. And at that point, it gets harder. There's only a few places that I can go. I hear I'm safe because everyone has agreed well, not agreed. Uh, everyone shares the same perspective that we don't believe in these terms the way other people have told us to believe. 
but then how does it fit into larger? And right now you mentioned the law. Um, yeah, like for example, some of us are advocating like take take the word alien off any legal document. It should not exist anymore. Because the my aspect is what is the relationship between the infrastructure and the superstructure? What is the relationship between the tangible things that we carry in our hands and the things that carry in my head and my heart? And for a lot of us, they're they're inseparable. And I think that's where we're my answer, where does it live, this hatred? I think it lives in the infrastructure. Um, and and if we if we invest equally in, in people's hearts, but also equally in the infrastructure, in, in like the, the actual tangible school systems, the actual tangible economic sector, maybe we can liberate people's hearts or not liberate, I don't like that word, but we can kind of change people's hearts. Because I think um, that's what, this is, this is a cycling motive issue. Uh, the heartbreaking part is when we see people that are also oppressed inflict violence on people that are also oppressed. Yeah. And you're like, why? Why'd you take that? And, and to kind of paraphrase Paulo Freire, an educator, mm-hmm. it's like, that's how it works. You know, the oppressor gives the oppressed the template mm-hmm. and you will become like them. You will yeah. carry them. And that's yeah. why I feel optimistic because I know what it looks like to be unchained by these thoughts. Like I feel that like you're one, someone that I care for and, and I've seen that humanity when we took it together. I was like, hey, we're, we're okay. Maybe not always, you know, cause we got a lot of stuff to do. And, but with little moments where I'm like, I'm safe with you. Cause he sees me like without all of the, the, the elements of like, of difference that were imposed on me, you know? And, and and hopefully you feel somewhat of the same, but I think that's what I mean. Like my optimism lies in there, but mm-hmm. I get our, frustrated. Our humanity. Our yeah, humanity. but I get frustrated because this is so contained. It's just you and me. And I don't know where else I can place that out. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. So I, I feel that like there is a lot of optimism, but I'm, I'm struggling to figure out you know, like how many places can I walk around, I walk around optimistically? Cause I'm not, I'm, I'm actually quite cautious right now. I walk around as someone that codes ambiguous. I always used to tell people that I grew up always being asked, what are you? <laughs> and it was, and I was like, I'm human. <laughs> <laughs> but that means that when I go to the store, dude, every other week, it's a different version of who I'm supposed to be scared of you know when i was a grad student we were walking around it was after 9 11 and they had these solidarity uh patterns where we walked around with people that were coded as middle eastern for their safety and i remember i was on that committee and someone jokingly says like who's gonna walk with you because <laughs> i was all like i'll walk with people and they're like yeah danny but who's gonna walk with you man you look kind of complicated i don't know what you are yeah, he's like, um, which essentially is like, hey, bro, I don't know if you're white enough to keep it, <laughs> keep us safe, give us a safe passage, which is just so, it's just so disheartening, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I'm good for you <laughs> for walking with the walking with our brothers and sisters, man. Um, it's you know, it's uh, I, I feel you like, um. I'm hopeful. I don't know how optimistic I am. I'm hopeful. I try to be optimistic. It's like, I'm hopeful. I, there's, there's just so many, so many things, but 
I think it's important to remember that people like we we humans have to be have to learn that kind of we have to learn racism and that kind of prejudice and that kind of hate and those systems of thought like that's not ingrained that's not ingrained in us right that's that's learned behavior and so from that if it's learned behavior that's what gives me hope like is knowing that this is that it is learned behavior and it learned behavior can be unlearned you know it takes a lot of work there's a lot of you know a lot of trauma in the meantime in the process there and it, it's just I don't know. That's what gives me hope is hope, hopefully they, <laughs> enough people can unlearn this stuff in enough time, right? Where we don't basically do ourselves in as a species over some, over nonsense, over really, right? Like, like you know, nonsense, like, uh, like skin tone or be it skin tone or, you know, religious or sexual gender preference or identity, whatever, whatever it is, you know, all the different, all the different ways that people have to to treat each other badly, you know, and racism kind of being like the, I don't know. And, and they, they're all like racism, sexism, classism, it's all predicated on exploitation, right? And like denying some people access equal, equal treatment, equal standing as human beings um, to give others preferential, you know, extra special, extra human um, treatment. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's a mess. It's a real mess. <laughs> and I hope we can get there. You know, um, it's H.G. Uh, Wells uh, is, is a quote that motivates me a lot in life. It's just um, paraphrasing. I'm sure you've heard me say this before, but he said something along the lines of uh, history is fast becoming a race between education and catastrophe. I feel like that's it, you know, because I'm actually talking about this last night with the, with the homies. Um, like, I think history... History does demonstrate, I think very clearly, human history, that when we know better, we do better, generally speaking, generally speaking, there's obviously exceptions to that. But when we know better, we do better. And like, that's, that's what gives me hope. <laughs> and I hope we, I hope we learn better. <laughs> I really hope we, we, we learn how to, you know, how to, how to, how to, how to play nice and share as a species, because that's really like, not to oversimplify it, but I really feel like that's ultimately what it comes down to a lot of the times, not all the time, because obviously, like, I don't know. Again, I mean, you know, in some things they're just like, I don't know. I can't, I can't really understand or rationalize or explain in any way some 30 year old white guy walking up to like, you know, an elderly Asian woman and physically attacking her. Like there's nothing that I can there in my mind, there's no, there's no explaining that that's just like mindless violence. And like, what do we, like you said, I think, I think it does. It, it lives in the infrastructure, right? I mean, like, where do, where do most people, where do we learn these kinds of things or unlearn these kinds of things? It's for the most part at home and in the family also the, and then also the education system, right? What history are we learning, you know, <laughs> or not learning more importantly, um, you know, and all that, I think you're right. And, but in, as, as in order to change though, it's, it's like, um, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it's all these moving parts. Like I was going to say, like sexism, classism, racism, it's all inextricably linked. Like they have their own characteristics, you know what I'm saying? But I feel like they're heads on the same beast, if that makes sense. And, and we got we to gotta kill that beast, metaphorically speaking, you know, and, um, and sometimes very literally keep ourselves and our other human brothers and sisters safe from being killed by that beast. You know, I think like you were saying, like setting up solidarity networks and, mutual aid and stuff like that and again like you know i was I, I was targeted for other reasons for things other than my skin tone 
mostly my politics my whole life you know like my my friends growing my friends growing up had very unpleasant nicknames for me which which involved pinko kami in other words which i shall not repeat you know what i'm saying and it wasn't i wasn't even i didn't even think of myself as a communist you know and so i, I like like you're saying like i've never and also like just being of mixed descent so i code i present as you know european descent because i'm mostly my ancestors are primarily of european descent but i also have ancestors immediate family right like my dad of east asian descent you know what i'm saying and so i code and i walk through the world as like as a white male right but then people see my last name and it's like question mark you know but then in in the east asian immigrant community that i grew up in i self-identified growing up because again you have, you've heard me say this before two of my three names are east are korean you know what i'm saying I, you know, like the family and the people that I spent more time around, the most time around in my life were all Korean. And so I thought of myself as very Korean. I was like, I'm not white. And then the world, you know, and especially that, <laughs> that Korean immigrant community made very sure that I knew like, you're sorry, not sorry, you're not Korean, you know? And so it's, um, so I feel you on, I mean, like I've had, you know, I'm, relative relative, and also grew up really poor so there's there's that dynamic too um so i feel you on kind of like in a different way um having very few spaces where you really feel safe or at home or comfortable being yourself your full honest human self you know so i'm really grateful for opportunities like this and for people like you you know what i'm saying friendships like you know like friends like you um where we can have these conversations and we can feel safe or safer <laughs> you know and express ourselves more fully and and i and you know i think that's the way forward right and like hopefully somebody you know here's a snippet even one person even just one person hears a piece of this conversation and like it like thinks about things you know and it makes them kind of consider things a little bit differently or just or even just reflect and even just like be like it's just an affirmation of like yeah yeah no i you know i agree or i, I disagree or i learned something or not that's that's my hope <laughs> you know what i'm saying that's 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 my hope but um but i don't know we'll, we'll see if we make it there in time but i like what you're saying about like solidarity solidarity networks and mutual aid and creating protecting each other and creating spaces where we can have these conversations and talk about these things and, and envision and by envisioning and speaking about it like creating things creating these alternatives right this these alternative futures where the world is a better place where people play nicer and, and share more <laughs> hopefully <laughs> get there or die trying <laughs> that note brother i want to thank you very much for this conversation with us yeah th thank you dudes as always man it's been a pleasure you've just finished hearing a conversation with historian elliot kim today we shared our thoughts on the current acts of violence that are rooted in racism, although we tried our best to place our conversation within a balance of history and anthropology, but ultimately this woman does not need intellectualism. We should all be able to stand up for what is right, and that is standing against hatred, anti-Asian violence, racism in all its forms, because it's the right thing to do. And here I paraphrase Elliot Kim. History does demonstrate that when we know better, we do better. You've been listening to Daniel here on the Deerport. Feel free to check out thereport.org to review archives of past segments. Thank you for tuning in. Stay safe, stay strong. 
Join us again next week.